0: Chapter forty five of David Copperfield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tige Hines. David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. Chapter forty five. Mr Dick fulfils my aunt's predictions. It was some time now since I had left the doctor. Living in his neighbourhood, I saw him frequently, and we all went to his house on two or three occasions to dinner or tea the old soldier was in permanent quarters under the doctor's roof she was exactly the same as ever and the same immortal butterflies hovered over her cap like some other mothers whom i have known in the course of my life mrs markleham was far more fond of pleasure than her daughter was she required a great deal of amusement and like a deep old soldier pretended in consulting her own inclinations to be devoting herself to her child the doctor's desire that annie should be entertained was therefore particularly acceptable to this excellent parent who expressed unqualified approval of his discretion i have no doubt indeed that she probed the doctor's wound without knowing it meaning nothing but a certain matured frivolity and selfishness not always inseparable from full-blown years i think she confirmed him in his fear that he was a constraint upon his young wife and that there was no congeniality of feeling between them by so strongly commending his design of lightening the load of her life my dear soul she said to him one day when i was present "'You know, there is no doubt it would be a little poky for Annie to be always shut up here.' The doctor nodded his benevolent head. "'When she comes to her mother's age,' said Mrs. Margulham, with a flourish of her fan, "'then it'll be another thing. You might put me into a jail with genteel society and a rubber, and I should never care to come out. But I'm not Annie, you know, and Annie is not her mother.' "'Surely, surely,' said the doctor, you are the best of creatures no i beg your pardon for the doctor made a gesture of deprecation i must say before your face as i always say behind your back you are the best of creatures but of course you don't now do you enter into the same pursuits and fancies as Annie? no said the doctor in a sorrowful tone no of course not retorted the old soldier take your dictionary for example what a useful work a dictionary is what a necessary work the meanings of words. Without Dr. Johnson, or somebody of that sort, we might have been at this present moment calling an Italian iron a bedstead. But we can't expect a dictionary, especially when it's making, to interest any, can we?' The doctor shook his head. "'And that's why I so much approve,' said Mrs. Markleham, tapping him on the shoulder with her shut-up fan. "'Of your thoughtfulness it shows that you don't expect, as many elderly people do expect, old heads on young shoulders.' you have studied Annie's character and you understand it that's what i find so charming even the calm and patient face of dr strong expressed some little sense of pain i thought under the infliction of these compliments therefore my dear doctor said the old soldier giving him several affectionate taps you may command me at all times and seasons now do understand that i am entirely at your service i am ready to go with annie to operas concerts exhibitions all kinds of places and you shall never find that i am tired duty my dear doctor before every consideration in the universe she was as good as her word she was one of those people who could bear a great deal of pleasure and she never flinched in her perseverance in the cause she seldom got hold of the newspaper which she settled herself down in the softest chair in the house to read through an eye-glass every day for two hours but she found out something that she was certain annie would like to see it was in vain for annie to protest that she was weary of such things her mother's remonstrance always was now my dear annie i am sure you know better and i must tell you my love that you are not making a proper return for the kindness of dr strong this was usually said in the doctor's presence and appeared to me to constitute annie's principal inducement for withdrawing her objections when she made annie but in general she resigned herself to her mother and went where the old soldier would it rarely happened now that mr maldon accompanied them sometimes my aunt and dora were invited to do so and accepted the invitation sometimes dora only was asked the time had been when i should have been uneasy in her going but reflection on what had passed that former night in the doctor's study had made a change in my mistrust i believed that the doctor was right and i had no worse suspicions my aunt rubbed her nose sometimes when she happened to be alone with me and said she couldn't make it out she wished they were happier she didn't think our military friend so she always called the old soldier mended the matter at all my aunt further expressed her opinion that if our military friend would cut off those butterflies and give them to the chimney-sweepers for may-day it would look like the beginning of something sensible on her part but her abiding reliance was on mr dick that man had evidently an idea in his head she said and if he could only once pen it up into a corner which was his great difficulty he would distinguish himself in some extraordinary manner unconscious of this prediction mr dick continued to occupy precisely the same ground in reference to the doctor and mrs strong he seemed neither to advance nor to recede he appeared to have settled into his original foundation like a building and i must confess that my faith in his ever moving was not much greater than if he had been a building but one night when i had been married some months mr dick put his head into the parlour where i was writing alone dora having gone out with my aunt to take tea with the two little birds and said with a significant cough ahem you couldn't speak to me without inconveniencing yourself trotwood i'm afraid certainly mr dick said i come in Trotwood." said mr dick laying his finger on the side of his nose after he had shaken hands with me before i sit down i wish to make an observation you know your aunt a little i replied she's the most wonderful woman in the world sir after the delivery of this communication which he shot out of himself as if he were loaded with it mr dick sat down with greater gravity than usual and looked at me now boy said mr dick i'm going to put a question to you "'As many as you please,' said I. "'What do you consider me, sir?' asked Mr. Dick, folding his arms. "'A dear old friend,' said I. "'Thank you, Trotwood,' returned Mr. Dick, laughing, and reaching across in high glee to shake hands with me. "'But I mean, boy,' resuming his gravity, "'what do you consider me in this respect?' touching his forehead. I was puzzled how to answer, but he helped me with a word. "'Weak.' said mr dick well i replied dubiously rather so exactly cried mr dick who seemed quite enchanted by my reply that is trotwood where they took some of the trouble out of you know whose head and put it you-know-where there was a mr dick made his two hands revolve very fast about each other a great number of times and then brought them into collision and rolled them over and over one another to express confusion there was that sort of thing done to me somehow eh i nodded at him and he nodded back again in short boy said mr dick dropping his voice to a whisper i am simple i would have qualified that conclusion but he stopped me yes i am she pretends i am not she won't hear of it but i am i know i am if she hadn't stood my friend sir i should have been shut up and led a dismal life these many years but i'll provide for her i never spend the copying money i put it in a box i have made a will i'll leave it all to her and she shall be rich noble mr dick took out his pocket-handkerchief and wiped his eyes he then folded it up with great care pressed it smooth between his two hands put it back in his pocket and seemed to put my aunt away with it now you are a scholar trotwood said mr dick you are a fine scholar you know what a learned man what a great man the doctor is you know what honour he has always done me not proud in his wisdom humble humble condescending even to poor dick who is simple and knows nothing i have sent his name up on a scrap of paper to the kite along the string when it has been in the sky among the larks the kite has been glad to receive it sir and the sky has been brighter with it i delighted him by saying most heartily that the doctor was deserving of our best respect and highest esteem and his beautiful wife is a star said mr dick a shining star i have seen her shine sir but bringing his chair nearer and laying one hand upon my knee clouds uh, clouds i answered a solicitude which his face expressed by conveying the same expression into my own and shaking my head what clouds said mr dick He looked so wistfully into my face, and was so anxious to understand, that I took great pains to answer him slowly and distinctly, as I might have entered on an explanation to a child. "'There is some unfortunate division between them,' I replied, "'some unhappy cause of separation. A secret. It may be inseparable from the discrepancy in their years. It may have grown up out of almost nothing.' mr dick who had told off every sentence with a thoughtful nod paused when i had done and sat considering with his eyes upon my face and his hand upon my knee doctor not angry with her trotwood he said after some time no devoted to her then i have got it boy said mr dick the sudden exultation with which he slapped me on the knee and leaned back in his chair with his eyebrows lifted up as high as he could possibly lift them made me think him farther out of his wits than ever He became as suddenly grave again, and, leaning forward as before, said, first respectfully taking out his pocket-handkerchief, as if it really did represent my aunt, "'Most wonderful woman in the world, Trotwood! Why has she done nothing to set things right?' "'Too delicate and difficult a subject for such interference,' I replied. "'Fine scholar,' said Mr. Dick, touching me with his finger. "'Why has he done nothing?' "'For the same reason,' I returned." then i have got it boy said mr dick and he stood up before me more exultingly than before nodding his head and striking himself repeatedly on the breast until one might have supposed that he had nearly nodded and struck all the breath out of his body a poor fellow with a craze sir said mr dick a simpleton a weak-minded person present company you know striking himself again may do what wonderful people may not do i'll bring them together boy i'll try they'll not blame me they'll not object to me they'll not mind what i do if it's wrong i'm only mr dick and who minds dick dick's nobody he blew a slight contemptuous breath as if he blew himself away it was fortunate he had proceeded so far with his mystery for we heard the coach stop at the little garden gate which brought my aunt and dora home not a word boy he pursued in a whisper leave all the blame with dick simple dick mad dick i have been thinking sir for some time that i was getting it now i have got it after what you have said to me i am sure i have got it all right not another word did mr dick utter on the subject but he made a very telegraph of himself for the next half-hour to the great disturbance of my aunt's mind to enjoin inviolable secrecy on me To my surprise I heard no more about it for two or three weeks, though I was sufficiently interested in the result of his endeavours, descrying a strange gleam of good sense, I say nothing of good feeling, for that he always exhibited, in the conclusion to which he had come. At last I began to believe that, in the flighty and unsettled state of his mind, he had either forgotten his intention, or abandoned it. One fair evening, when Dora was not inclined to go out, my aunt and I strolled up to the doctor's cottage it was autumn when there were no debates to vex the evening air and i remember how the leaves smelt like our garden at blunderstone as we trod them under foot and how the old unhappy feeling seemed to go by on the sighing wind it was twilight when we reached the cottage mrs strong was just coming out of the garden where mr dick yet lingered busy with his knife helping the gardener to point some stakes The doctor was engaged with somebody in his study, but a visitor would be gone directly, Mrs. Strong said, and begged us to remain to see him. We went into the drawing-room with her, and sat down by the darkening window. There was never any ceremony about the visits of such old friends and neighbours as we were. We had not sat there many minutes, when Mrs. Markleham, who usually contrived to be in a fuss about something, came bustling in with her newspaper in her hand, and said, out of breath, My goodness gracious, Annie, why didn't you tell me there was someone in the study? "'My dear Mama,' she quietly returned, "'how could I know that you desired the information?' "'Desired the information?' said Mrs. Markleham, sinking on the sofa. "'I never had such a turn in all my life.' "'Have you been to the study then, Mama?' asked Annie. "'Been to the study, my dear?' she returned emphatically. "'Indeed I have. I came upon the amiable creature, "'if you'll imagine my feelings, Miss Trotwood and David, "'in the act of making his will.' her daughter looked round from the window quickly in the act my dear annie repeated mrs markleham spreading the newspaper on her lap like a tablecloth and patting her hands upon it of making his last will and testament the foresight and affection of the dear i must tell you how it was i really must in justice to the darling for he's nothing less tell you how it was perhaps you know miss trotwood that there never is a candle lighted in this house until one's eyes are literally falling out of one's head with being stretched to read the paper and there is not a chair in this house in which a paper can be what i call read except one in the study this took me to the study where i saw a light i opened the door in company with the doctor were two professional people evidently connected with the law and they were all three standing at the table the darling doctor pen in hand this simply expresses then said the doctor "Annie, my love attend to the very words this simply expresses then gentlemen the confidence i have in mrs strong and gives her all unconditionally one of the professional people replied and gives her all unconditionally upon that with the natural feeling of a mother i said good god i beg your pardon fell over the doorstep and came away through the little back passage where the pantry is mrs strong opened the window and went out into the veranda where she stood leaning against a pillar but now isn't it miss trotwood isn't it david invigorating said mrs markleham mechanically following her with her eyes to find a man at dr strong's time of life with the strength of mind to do this kind of thing it only shows how right i was i said to annie when dr strong paid a very flattering visit to myself and made her the subject of a declaration and an offer i said my dear there is no doubt whatever in my opinion with reference to a suitable provision for you that dr strong will do more than he binds himself to do Here the bell rang, and we heard the sound of the visitors' feet as they went out. "'It's all over, no doubt,' said the old soldier, after listening. "'The dear creature has signed, sealed, and delivered, and his mind's at rest. Well, it may be. What a mind! Annie, my love, I am going to the study with my paper, for I am a poor creature without news. Miss Trotwood, David, pray, come and see the doctor.' I was conscious of Mr. Dix standing in the shadow of the room, shutting up his knife, when we accompanied her to the study and of my aunt's rubbing her nose violently by the way as a mild vent for her intolerance of our military friend but who got first to the study or how mrs markleham settled herself in a moment in her easy chair or how my aunt and i came to be left together near the door unless her eyes were quicker than mine and she held me back i have forgotten if i ever knew but this i know that we saw the doctor before he saw us standing at his table among the folio volumes in which he delighted resting his head calmly on his hand that in the same moment we saw mrs strong glide in pale and trembling that mr dick supported her on his arm that he laid his other hand upon the doctor's arm causing him to look up with an abstracted air that as the doctor moved his head his wife dropped down on one knee at his feet and with her hands imploringly lifted fixed upon his face the memorable look i had never forgotten at this sight mrs markleham dropped the newspaper and stared more like a figurehead intended for a ship called the astonishment than anything else i can think of the gentleness of the doctor's manner and surprise the dignity that mingled with the supplicating attitude of his wife the amiable concern of mr dick and the earnestness with which my aunt said to herself that man mad triumphantly expressive of the misery from which she had saved him i see and hear rather than remember as i write about it doctor said mr dick what is it that's amiss look here annie cried the doctor not at my feet my dear yes she said i beg and pray that no one will leave the room oh my husband and father break this long silence let us both know what it is that has come between us mrs markleham by this time recovering the power of speech and seeming to swell with family pride and motherly indignation here exclaimed annie get up immediately and don't disgrace everybody belonging to you by humbling yourself like that unless you wish to see me go out of my mind on the spot mamma returned annie waste no words on me for my appeal is to my husband and even you are nothing here nothing exclaimed mrs markleham me nothing the child has taken leave of her senses please get me a glass of water i was too attentive to the doctor and his wife to give any heed to this request and it made no impression on anybody else so mrs markleham panted stared and fanned herself annie said the doctor tenderly taking her in his hands my dear If any unavoidable change has come in the sequence of time upon our married life, you are not to blame. The fault is mine, and only mine. There is no change in my affection, admiration, and respect. I wish to make you happy. I truly love and honour you. Rise, Annie, pray.' But she did not rise. After looking at him for a little while, she sank down closer to him, laid her arm across his knee, and dropping her head upon it, said— if i have any friend here who can speak one word for me or for my husband in this matter if i have any friend here who can give a voice to any suspicion that my heart has sometimes whispered to me if i have any friend here who honours my husband or has ever cared for me and has anything within his knowledge no matter what it is that may help to mediate between us i implore that friend to speak there was a profound silence after a few moments of painful hesitation I broke the silence. Mrs. Strong, said I, there is something within my knowledge which I have been earnestly entreated by Dr. Strong to conceal, and have concealed until to-night, but I believe the time has come when it would be mistaken faith and delicacy to conceal it any longer, and when your appeal absolves me from his injunction. She turned her face towards me for a moment, and I knew I was right i could not have resisted its entreaty if the assurance that it gave me had been any less convincing our future peace she said may be in your hands i trusted confidently to your not suppressing anything i know beforehand that nothing you or anyone can tell me will show my husband's noble heart in any other light than one howsoever it may seem to you to touch me disregard that i will speak for myself before him and before god afterwards thus earnestly besought i made no reference to the doctor for his permission but without any other compromise of the truth than a little softening of the coarseness of uriah heep related plainly what had passed in that same room that night the staring of mrs markleham during the whole narration and the shrill sharp interjections with which she occasionally interrupted it defy description When i had finished annie remained for some few moments silent with her head bent down as i have described then she took the doctor's hand he was sitting in the same attitude as when we had entered the room and pressed it to her breast and kissed it mr dick softly raised her and she stood when she began to speak leaning on him and looking down upon her husband from whom she never turned her eyes all that has ever been in my mind since i was married she said in a low submissive tender voice i will lay bare before you i could not live and have one reservation knowing what i know now nay annie said the doctor mildly i have never doubted you my child there is no need there is no need my dear there is great need she answered in the same way that i should open my whole heart before the soul of generosity and truth whom year by year and day by day i have loved and venerated more and more as heaven knows really interrupted mrs markleham if i have any discretion at all which you haven't you marplot observed my aunt in an indignant whisper i must be permitted to observe that it cannot be requisite to enter into these details none but my husband can judge of that mamma said Annie, without removing her eyes from his face, and he will hear me. If I say anything to give you pain, Mama, forgive me. I have borne pain first, often and long myself. Upon my word! gasped Mrs. Markleham. When I was very young, said Annie, quite a little child, my first associations with knowledge of any kind were inseparable from a patient friend and teacher, the friend of my dead father, who was always dear to me. I can remember nothing that I know without remembering him.' he stored my mind with its first treasures and stamped his character upon them all they never could have been i think as good as they have been to me if i had taken them from any other hands makes her mother nothing exclaimed mrs Markleham. not so mamma said annie but i make him what he was i must do that as i grew up he occupied the same place still i was proud of his interest deeply fondly gratefully attached to him i looked up to him i can hardly describe how as a father as a guide as one whose praise was different from all other praise as one in whom i could have trusted and confided if i had doubted all the world you know mamma how young and inexperienced i was when you presented him before me of a sudden as a lover i have mentioned the fact fifty times at least to everybody here said mrs markleham then hold your tongue for the lord's sake and don't mention it any more muttered my aunt "'It was so great a change—so great a loss, I felt it at first, said Annie, still preserving the same look and tone, "'that I was agitated and distressed. I was but a girl, and when so great a change came in the character in which I had so long looked up to him, I think I was sorry. But nothing could have made him what he used to be again, and I was proud that he should think me so worthy, and we were married.' "'At St. Alphidge, Canterbury,' observed Mrs. Markleham. "'Confound the woman,' said my aunt. "'She won't be quiet.' I never thought, proceeded Annie, with a heightened colour, of any worldly gain that my husband would bring me. My young heart had no room in its homage for any such poor reference. Mama, forgive me when I say that it was you who first presented to my mind the thought that any one could wrong me, and wrong him by such a cruel suspicion. Me? cried Mrs. Markleham. Ah, you to be sure, observed my aunt, and you can't fan it away, my military friend. "'It was the first unhappiness of my new life,' said Annie. "'It was the first occasion of every unhappy moment I have known. "'These moments have been more of late than I can count, but not, my generous husband, "'not for the reason you suppose, for in my heart there is not a thought, a recollection, "'or a hope that any power could separate from you.' "'She raised her eyes and clasped her hands, and looked as beautiful and true, I thought, "'as any spirit. "'The doctor looked on her henceforth as steadfastly as she on him.' mamma is blameless she went on of having ever urged you for herself and she is blameless in intention every way i am sure but when i saw how many importunate claims were pressed upon you in my name how you were traded on in my name how generous you were and how mr wickfield who had your welfare very much at heart resented it the first sense of my exposure to the mean suspicion that my tenderness was bought and sold to you of all men on earth fell upon me like unmerited disgrace in which i forced you to participate i cannot tell you what it was mamma cannot imagine what it was to have this dread and trouble always on my mind yet know in my own soul that on my marriage-day i crowned the love and honour of my life A specimen of the thanks one gets cried mrs markleham in tears for taking care of one's family i wish i was a turk i wish you were with all my heart and in your native country said my aunt it was at that time that mamma was most solicitous about my cousin maldon i had liked him she spoke softly but without any hesitation very much we had been little lovers once if circumstances had not happened otherwise i might have come to persuade myself that i really loved him and might have married him and been most wretched there can be no disparity in marriage like unsuitability of mind and purpose i pondered on those words even while i was studiously attending to what followed as if they had some particular interest or some strange application that i could not divine there can be no disparity in marriage like unsuitability of mind and purpose no disparity in marriage like unsuitability of mind and purpose there is nothing said annie that we have in common i have long found that there is nothing if i were thankful to my husband for no more instead of for so much i should be thankful to him for having saved me from the first mistaken impulse of my undisciplined heart She stood quite still before the doctor, and spoke with an earnestness that thrilled me, yet her voice was just as quiet as before when he was waiting to be the object of your munificence so freely bestowed for my sake and when i was unhappy in the mercenary shape i was made to wear i thought it would have become better to have worked his own way on i thought that if i had been he i would have tried to do it at the cost of almost any hardship but i thought no worse of him until the night of his departure for india that night i knew he had a false and thankless heart i saw a double meaning then in mr Wickfield's scrutiny of me i perceived for the first time the dark suspicion that shadowed my life suspicion annie said the doctor no 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 In your mind there was none, I know, my husband, she returned, and when I came to you that night to lay down all my load of shame and grief, and knew that I had to tell you that underneath your roof, one of my own kindred, to whom you had been a benefactor, for the love of me, had spoken to me words that should have found no utterance, even if I had been the weak and mercenary wretch he taught me, my mind revolted from the taint the very tale conveyed it died upon my lips and from that hour till now has never passed them mrs markleham with a short groan leaned back in her easy-chair and retired behind her fan as if she were never coming out any more i have never but in your presence interchanged a word with him from that time then only when it has been necessary for the avoidance of this explanation Years have passed since he knew from me what his situation here was. The kindness you have secretly done for his advancement and then disclosed to me for my surprise and pleasure have been, you will believe, but aggravations of the unhappiness and burden of my secret. She sunk down gently at the doctor's feet, though he did his utmost to prevent her, and said, looking up tearfully into his face, Do not speak to me yet. Let me say a little more. Right or wrong, if this were to be done again, I think I should do just the same you never can know what it was to be devoted to you with those old associations to find that any one could be so hard as to suppose that the truth of my heart was bartered away and to be surrounded by appearances confirming that belief i was very young and had no adviser between mamma and me in all relating to you there was a wide division if i shrunk into myself hiding the disrespect i had undergone it was because i honoured you so much and so much wished that you should honour me nanny my poor heart said the doctor my dear girl a little more a very few words more i used to think there were so many whom you might have married who would not have brought such charge and trouble on you i used to be afraid that i had better have remained your pupil and almost your child i used to fear that i was so unsuited to your learning and wisdom if all this made me shrink within myself as indeed it did when i had that to tell it was still because i honoured you so much and hoped that you might one day honour me that day has shone this long time annie said the doctor and can have but one long night my dear another word i afterwards meant steadfastly meant and purposed to myself to bear the whole weight of knowing the unworthiness of one to whom you have been so good and now a last word dearest and best of friends the cause of the late change in you which i have seen with so much pain and sorrow and have sometimes referred to my old apprehension at other times to lingering suppositions nearer to the truth has been made clear to-night and by an accident i have also come to know to-night the full measure of your noble trust in me even under that mistake i do not hope that any love and duty i may render in return will ever make me worthy of your priceless confidence but with all this knowledge fresh upon me, I can lift my eyes to this dear face, revered as a father's, loved as a husband's, sacred to me in my childhood as a friend's, and solemnly declare that in my lightest thought I have never wronged you, never wavered in the love and the fidelity I owe you.' She had her arms around the doctor's neck, and he leaned his head down over her, mingling his grey hair with her dark-brown tresses. "'Oh, hold me to your heart, my husband. Never cast me out. Do not think or speak of disparity between us, for there is none, except in all my imperfections. Every succeeding year I have known this better, as I have esteemed you more and more. Oh, take me to your heart, my husband, for my love is founded on a rock, and it endures!' In the silence that ensued my aunt walked gravely up to Mr. Dick, without at all hurrying herself, and gave him a hug and a sounding kiss and it was very fortunate with a view to his credit that she did so for i am confident that i detected him in that moment in the act of making preparations to stand on one leg as an appropriate expression of delight you are a very remarkable man dick said my aunt with an air of unqualified approbation and never pretend to be anything else for i know better with that my aunt pulled him by the sleeve and nodded to me and we three stole quietly out of the room and came away "'That's a settler for our military friend, at any rate,' said my aunt on the way home. "'I should sleep the better for that, if there was nothing else to be glad of.' "'She was quite overcome, I am afraid,' said Mr. Dick, with great commiseration. "'What, did you ever see a crocodile overcome?' inquired my aunt. "'I don't think I ever saw a crocodile,' returned Mr. Dick mildly. "'There never would have been anything the matter if it hadn't been for that old animal.' said my aunt with strong emphasis it's very much to be wished that some mothers would leave their daughters alone after marriage and not be so violently affectionate they seem to think the only return that can be made for bringing an unfortunate young woman into the world god bless my soul as if she asked to be brought or wanted to come is full liberty to worry her out of it again what are you thinking of trot i was thinking of all that had been said my mind was still running on some of the expressions used there can be no disparity in marriage like unsuitability of mind and purpose the first mistaken impulse of an undisciplined heart my love was founded on a rock but we were at home and the trodden leaves were lying under foot and the autumn wind was blowing End of chapter forty five